This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Well, good morning. Welcome to our campuses in Appleton and Stevens Point. And those of you who are joining us online, we hope that you had just a great time in worship already this morning. Would you all stand with me, please, as we recite the Apostles' Creed? This is our statement of faith and what we believe in as a church here at Celebration. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Pastor Mark and Deanna are rounding out their whirlwind tour that they've had throughout the month of February. Um, so he will be back with us in the pulpit next Sunday. We're delighted about that. But I want you to know that he has brought us a really phenomenal speaker to close things out from this season of him being gone. But I'm going to turn things over to Pastor Mark so he can welcome you all and, and give our guests a proper introduction. Good morning, Celebration, and greetings from Phoenix, Arizona, where we've now come to the end of our February run. We will be back with you again next Sunday and on a more regular schedule. We certainly miss you. We're certainly looking forward to getting back. You know, as I travel around the world, there's no place like home. Seriously, I think Celebration is an amazing place and all of you are really incredible. One of the things I love about hearing from some of these speakers that come and cover for me is how they just brag on you. They love you. They love the way that you respond and the kindness and the, the, the Christian uh, love that you share with all of them. And I love showing all of you off. It's a great blessing for me. But uh, uh, finally coming to the end. And again, it's going to be with you next Sunday morning. Um, we're now in the time of Lent. And I want to remind you that we're going to be having a special prayer time every Monday during the season of Lent. We'll be gathering at our Appleton campus. No, I'm sorry, not at our Appleton campus because we don't have a campus yet or a building. Uh, we will be at our Stevens Point campus and our Green Bay campus. And if you don't have any place to gather or you can't make it in, just find a place on your own to pray. Ask God to, to uh, touch people in your life and to continue to bless the church that it will grow and have an impact on people's lives. So don't forget that during this season of Lent. Uh, this morning, my wonderful friend Tim Hatch from Boston, Massachusetts, Boston, Mass. Uh, actually, he's just outside Boston. Is gonna be sitting in for me. He's a great friend. Uh, I so appreciate him, as well as all these guys coming in and covering for me 
while I've been on this run. So anyway, let's give a big welcome to Pastor Tim Hatch this morning and we'll see all of you guys next Sunday morning. Well, good morning, Green Bay. It is good to be here from New England. I was here a couple of years ago on July 4th weekend, and I must say I'm slightly disappointed with the weather this time around. But I'm used to it. I'm a lifelong New Englander and I'm a dyed-in-the-wool New England Patriots fan. I'm sorry about that, too. I represent the six-time Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots, today for you. I know you have four. Don't tell me about 13 world champions. We are like millennials in New England. Anything that happened before us is racist. That's what we say. So don't want to hear it, all right? Six, four, hey, keep inviting me back. They'll keep winning Super Bowls. Everything's good. Amen. Zero amens for that. That's exactly how you should respond. That's exact. Well done. Well done, faithful uh, Green Bayers. Okay. Um, maybe I should get to the word so I don't offend all of the rest of you who aren't already offended. Genesis chapter 15. We're going to be there in just a moment. And I, I, I have a message for you, and I want to welcome the campuses in. So glad that you are with us as well. Uh, Genesis chapter 15, if you have a Bible. And the title of my message is Go Outside and Play. Turn to your neighbor and say, Go Outside and Play. The weather is going to get better. Amen. Amen. It was by faith up here in the north that it is going to get better. And one of the things that I struggle with with children is that, and we have kind of skipped winter this year in New England, and you guys have had a lighter winter as well? Yeah. Isn't it been wonderful? This is so hard to be like, you know, worried about climate change when you're in the north and they do winter like this. But thank God for it, and I'm going to take it. But here's what happens, because I'm so used to being hunkered down in the winter, that when a good day comes around in February, I, I panic. I'm like, we should be outside doing something before the snow starts falling again. And, and, and sometimes that's our lives. We're a little bit panicked by the movement that we are not currently experiencing in the life of faith. And so here's... Where we are in Genesis chapter 15 in the text today, verse 1, it says this, after these things, that's the first verse that I, in the first three words I just want to share with you for a moment. Everybody say, after these things. <laughs> with three simple words, the Bible summarizes 25 years of Abram's life. God has a long-term view of your life, but we are short-term people. We are the internet generation, the this Wi-Fi connection is too slow generation. We are the instant generation. We need it tomorrow, not today, tomorrow, we need it yesterday. And we struggle with long-term view of life. And God doesn't because he's from everlasting to everlasting. Translation, he's not in a rush. He's patient with his plans and purpose for you. And I wonder today who here is worried you're stressing out because you don't see the promises coming to pass in your life. You don't see God's purposes coming to fruition. Maybe you're still single. Maybe you're still struggling through that tough marriage season. Maybe the job has yet to find you or you find it or you haven't received the promise that you were given years ago. Welcome to Abram chapter 15 in Genesis. After these things, let me summarize after these things. Genesis chapter 12, God says, Abram, leave everything you know. Leave your father, your mother, everything, everything you've ever been familiar with and move across the world. Move to the land that I will show you. So even the moving is not guaranteed with a location until the moving happens. 
And he's on his way and he gets to the land and he builds an altar and he sacrifices things to God and he thinks, okay, let's start this family thing. Let's have some children. Let's get this going, Lord. And a famine happens. And he has to move to to Egypt. And on the way there, he's scared for his life. And so he tells his wife, this is Father Abraham, the father of faith, morally righteous Abraham, right? (laughs) Wrong. He tells his wife, pretend you're my sister so that they will treat me well. It's in the Bible text. Now, I grew up going to Sunday school. Anybody remember Father Abraham's song? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm. Remember that? And by the time the song was done, you were doing this and looking like an idiot. Remember? That's how they train you to live for Christ in a world that doesn't like you, okay? All the years that I sang that song, I never once sang the verse, Father Abraham pimped his wife. Never once. And he did it twice, not once, twice. And so he goes to fair, he goes to Egypt and he is treated well. And they find out that it's his sister and they bless him anyway. And anything, anything that comes against this guy, as the Lord said, is gonna work out for his good. But he still has to go through it. And famine happens, then he quarrels with Lot's herdsmen. They have to separate Lot. His nephew takes the rich and fertile land, and he has to go to the less rich and fertile land. And then after that, in Genesis chapter 14, there's a war. There's like a worldwide war, five kings versus five kings. And, 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 and Abram has to muster his army and go and fight in this war to save his rebellious nephew Lot. And it's just one thing after another for, in our Bibles, three chapters. But in Abram's lifespan, 25 years, no child. No hint of a child. No promises being fulfilled. Just problems. Somebody say problems. What's your problem? What's that thing that's holding you captive, your attention, stressing you out, causing you frustration? You have to think that at this moment, Abram's frustrated. Abram's frustrated in in Genesis 15 because look at how the conversation goes down between him and the Lord. The Lord says, fear not, Abram. After these things, the word of the Lord. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And I have to love Abram for this next verse. He teaches us how to pray. Sometimes American Christians are too sanctimonious with their prayers because we think we just have to be like, oh, we could never say anything to God. We got to just be subservient. He's the celestial dictator who tells us everything we should do. Not so, friend. The father of our faith, Abram, loved to argue with the Lord. And you need to learn how to rightly argue with the Lord. It's a relationship. And every relationship I've ever had that's worth anything to me has a little bit of tension, a little bit of argument, a little bit of pushback. And we need to learn how to do that with the Lord. Here, Abram does it for us in verse 2. Look what it says. But Abram said, oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. You almost hear him say, this was your idea. Nothing's happened. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, I like he's continuing to talk. Like he, Abram's a good Jew. He just keeps talking, right? Keep arguing. Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And the pushback is responded to, and the Lord responds with grace and comfort. Look what it says, verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. 
God re-ups the promise 25 years later. He was 75 when he got the promise of having children. That makes him 100 now. And you would think that he is thinking less of having children and more of having a grave. But the Lord doesn't go lower. He goes higher. Look what it says. And he brought him outside. Say those words with me on the count of three. One, two, three. And he brought him outside. Go outside and play. The subtitle of the message is finding the faith to fight again. And the Lord said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. I love that in this moment of the Bible, the Lord has to take Abram outside. Isn't that cool? Like there's a roof over his head. The Lord's like, okay, you can't see what I'm up to. You obviously have limited vision. So let's do something. And this is at night. So God's not afraid of the night. And he brings him right outside. And he says, now look at the stars. And, and there was no smog. There was no pollution. So he's seeing all the glorious stars that God created. He said, I made those. And I can make a multitude of descendants through you just as easily as I spoke those stars into existence. Friends, I want to tell you something. Our God can do anything. Amen. And here's the thing. He can do anything in spite of whatever happened to you before. And this is the first point that I want to make. The first point that Abram is being taught about faith is faith does not let what has or might happen determine what God can make happen. Amen. We're the people of the empty grave. Have you heard of it? It's in Jerusalem. I was with your pastor in the empty grave two years ago, this time of year. We were standing side by side, kind of uncomfortably, in the empty grave. And I got good news for you. It is, in fact, empty. Jesus is alive. Before that, when you went to a grave, you stayed there. Before that, death meant dead permanently. But ever since that moment, and history hinges on that moment, B.C., A.D., right? Ever since that moment, what has happened no longer has to determine what will happen. God can take a grave and empty it. He can take your life and lift it. He can take your marriage and fix it. He can take your child and change him or her. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. Have I got some friends in Wisconsin? Are you back with me, Green Bay Packer fans? Are you able to hear this from a New England Patriots fan? I'm sorry for that. But God could change me in almost anything other than that. Okay, so <laughs> when, I was going, when I was a kid, going outside was everything. And, and it seems like in today's generation, going outside is a scary thing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I read a book by Jonathan Hyde. He's a New York psychologist. He wrote a book called The Coddling of the American Mind. And how we are becoming super protective over our children. When I was a kid, I went outside and played. If I came back too early, my mom got mad at me. Come on, I was raised old school. Come on, somebody. And if I had had blood coming out of my body at any point, she would be like, don't step on the carpet. Bleed outside on the rocks. Thank God for a mother like that. But today, children are overprotected. They really are. Today, we try to guard them from every possible thing that could hurt them. Listen to me, young parents. Don't do this. Don't fall for this. Amen. Those kids are stronger than you think. And they should have experiences that hurt them. Amen. Oh, I don't want little Johnny to be hurt. I don't want him to be hurt. It doesn't matter. He's going to be hurt. 
if you protect him for the whole time you have him, he will fall into hurt later in life and he will freak out about how to respond to it. This is why we have something in our universities called microaggressions. Microaggressions. You know what adults call microaggressions? Things that don't bother us. Right? But today, like, speech is microaggressive. Speech could cause somebody to lose their mind. This is what's happening to America because we are no longer preparing the child for the road. We are preparing the road for the child. And this is harmful. I mean, for heaven's sakes, peanuts is the arch enemy of our children. <laughs> peanuts. Remember the song, Take Me Out to the Ball Game? That song is, like, vicious. Listen to the lyrics. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Crowd? What? Give me some peanuts and, and Cracker Jacks. I don't care if I ever get back. What? <laughs> peanuts and never coming home? That's a disaster in Americans' minds today. But we used to celebrate that. Actually, peanut allergies is funny because I have three children, beautiful wife Cheryl, and three children. And we had two. I have an 18-year-old, a 15-year-old, and an 8-year-old, which means I have an 18-year-old, 15-year-old, and a oops-year-old. <laughs> The Lord did not think that Cheryl and I grew enough during our parental stage in the first place, so he gave us another child to spiritually develop us even further. And that child is the answer to my mother's lifelong prayer that someday I would have a child that is just like me, like, like you, she would say. Well, this kid, you know, I had the first two. We would go to their schools for open house, and we would see in the cafeteria there was peanut allergy tables, and me and my wife would laugh at these tables. <laughs> peanut allergies. These people are afraid of peanuts. Guess what I got with the third child? <laughs> Peanut allergy kid, right? So now he's the one sitting at the table, this poor kid. A anyway, peanut allergies. In the 1990s, there was four out of 1,000 children diagnosed with a peanut allergy. In 2008, it was up to 17 out of 1,000, more than tripled the amount. And they've done a lot of research by, about this, and this is in the book that I read about the coddling of the American mind. And they said basically what happens is the more we expect children to avoid allergies, the more they're going to develop them. The more we keep them from what could hurt them, the more they actually have no immune protection system for that problem. And so they took 640 infants that were pre genetically predisposed to peanut allergy. They split them into two groups. The first group they gave no peanuts to for five years. And the second group they gave do daily doses of peanuts to for five years. And at the end of the five years, the group that had no peanut exposure, 17% of the kids developed a threatening peanut allergy. And the group that was regularly exposed to peanuts, only 3% developed a threatening peanut allergy. The lesson is this. Sometimes avoiding exposure to danger is not the pathway to safety. Your father in heaven knows this very well. He has let you go through some things that you did not like so that you could get stronger in areas that you did not know you needed strength. He will let you go through some hardships. He will let you go through some troubles. He will let you have to push against the goads in your life, put you through some testing, some trials, some periods of waiting, some periods of anxiety and stress so that you can get stronger on the other side of that experience because God is not in the business of raising wimps. He wants you empowered in the Holy Spirit and stronger through the trouble that he lets you go through. He does. Abram is invited outside and he is asked to elevate, not lower, elevate his expectations. Come on outside and play, Abram. 
We live in a toxic culture where we have unending news cycles and Twitter feeds and Facebook feeds and all kinds of news that can flood our minds and fill us with worry. I, I read about this in the Daily Mail in Britain. They are now diagnosing unparalleled numbers of children with anxiety because the kids are worried about climate change. So the more they drum it up, the more the kids get anxious, and guess what they're doing? They're just diagnosing them and popping pills into them. In other words, avoid the problem. In other words, everything could kill you, so be safe. And this is not how God works. He is a good father. He puts us out there. Here's another way of saying it. He believes in you. He believes you can handle it. He believes you are stronger. He, he believes that you get stronger the more you have to fight through. And Abram is, is invited outside before streetlights, before electricity, in the middle of the night, right after a war that he had to fight in. There could be snipers waiting to kill him with you know slingshots or whatever. And the Lord says, no, come on outside. I got you. I'm your shield. I'll protect you. And I'm going to do more than you think. And I love that about our God. You need to understand that what has happened to you is not going to determine what will happen to you. You are the people of the empty grave. Can I get a good amen? Amen. Number two, faith listens to the encouragement of heaven. You need to have the voice of heaven in your head on a regular basis. You need to have the word of God coming into your spirit. This is why you're here today. Hopefully this is why you're coming first Wednesday and you're in small group and you're listening to other Christian believers who are also committed to pressing onward and will encourage you. This is what God does with Abram. He says, look to heaven, verse 5. Look toward heaven. Number the stars. Now, the promise in verse uh, 16 of chapter 13, three chapters earlier, two chapters earlier, was look at the dust. See if you can number the grains of sand. I love this because God doesn't lower his expectations. He raises them. He doesn't get them to look down. He gets them to look up. And by the way, those are two promises of two families, both generated from Abram's seed. The dust represents the Jews, the natural biological people of Abraham, who are still on this planet to this day. The only people in the history of the world that have been on the same plot of land, worshiping the same God, reading the same Bible for 3,000 years. Amazing. So that promise is true. But the stars are the heavenly bodies, and that's you. Children of Abraham through faith in Christ Jesus, the true son of Abraham. That's who you are. This is why Jesus says you are the light of the world. This is why Philippians chapter 2 says you shine like stars in the universe. You are the fulfillment of Abram's promise not to look down, but to look up, not to expect less, but to expect more, and to believe God is not through with you just because you had to go through 25 years of frustration. Isn't that good? He encourages. This is why you come to church. Encourage. The word encourage, in, to put in courage. You come to church to get encouraged, amen? You should be encouraged when you leave here. You should have friends who encourage you, who don't find fault with you, but build you up in the most holy faith to believe that God is not done with you. You need someone like that in your life. That's what the church should be doing. If you are a fault-finding Christian, you need to look at yourself first and start finding fault there so that you can find the grace of God here so that you can change your heart for the people out there. And instead of finding fault with everybody, you can find gifts in them, find fruit in them, in them, find blessing in them and build them up because everybody is going through something. 
And we would do ourselves a whole big favor if we just start encouraging and stop judging and casting down. Isaiah says, they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You want to get stronger? Listen to your father's voice. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says, finally be strong. Where? In the Lord. He's the one who will make you strong, who who will garner you with strength around your body. Our heavenly father is a master encourager. I am trying my hardest as a father to be an encourager. It's hard sometimes because they're kids and they can be stupid. (laughs) And sometimes dads can be stupid. (laughs) And so, like I said, I get very nervous when good weather comes around, good weather's on the way. And so I get really stressed when my kids are on devices in good weather. I'm from New England. You guys resonate with this. You are in the North as well. We get like six good days a year. So there was this one good day last year, July, right? And I I saw my kids on devices and I'm like, that's it. Get up. We're going outside to play. So get your skateboards or whatever. And I have two dogs. At that time, I had two dogs. I have one dog now, but two big boxer dogs and two leashes, two boys, two skateboards, one with the handlebar for my 15-year-old skateboard, for my 8-year-old a handlebar skateboard. I said, let's go. Packed them in the car, got down to the bike path, this paved, beautiful bike path that runs along a river behind my house. And what I like to do is I like to rollerblade. I'm the last living rollerblader on planet Earth. And uh, what I like to do is take the dogs down there and take their leashes and have them just pull me. It's like my personal Iditarod race. I'm just going down the pathway with these dogs pulling me. So this time I didn't know what to do. Two two kids, two dogs, two leashes. So I got an idea. And I gave my 15-year-old the dog, the the smaller boxer dog. And I said, here, she'll pull you. And and off he went on his skateboard. And, you know, 15, stronger, taller, everything like that. And, And it's pretty loose. And if he has a problem, just jumps off the skateboard and stops. Well, for some reason, I didn't think about this very clearly, but I saw my younger son just sitting there bored, and so I took the leash of the bigger dog, and I tied it to the handlebars of his skateboard, and I held him there, and I said, okay, Jakey, are you ready? Are you strong? Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready, and I just said, okay, ready, and go, and whoosh down the bike path like as, as fast as you can imagine suddenly I realized I can't catch up to the kid so I have to like roll up and I'm hoofing it and I'm way behind and I'm losing distance and he's way ahead of me and then he's like starting to teeter like this and you know how it goes he's starting to go like this and it's like the dog from vacation that they tied to the bumper you know oh he made it a good ways he tried his hardest but eventually you know <laughs> the inevitable happened and that's exactly what happened to my JK And a little while later, he just back and forth, back and forth, and boom, fell, smacked his head on the pavement, scraped up his knee, his elbow, bleeding from multiple places. My mother would have been proud. (laughs) And I'm running to him, and I am seeing all the parents on the bike path taking out their cell phones for videoing it to give to DSS. How many know what I'm talking about? I'm worried about prison. I'm worried about sentencing. And, and I'm running up to him. And the Lord just gives me this word as I see the tears start to fill up in his eyes. I kid you not, the Lord gave me a word for him. And as I ran up, instead of freaking out, I said to him these words. I said, Jakey, you fell so amazingly. That was the best fall I have ever seen. Oh, my gosh. You took, like, you took, like, you took that like such a man. And his little face his frown turned into a smile and the tears dried up and he started to put his chest out and his shoulders back and he said, 
I did fall pretty good, didn't I? I did. It was a really good fall. Look, I got blood coming from my shins. Isn't this cool? And I realized in that moment that I think that's what God would love to say to you when you fall. You fell so amazingly. Look at you. You here at, at, at Celebration Church today, you could have let the devil get a hold of your life this week. You could have let your failures this past week keep you out of church this week. You could have let what you've been through stop what you're here doing right now, but you didn't. You fell the right way. When you fall, you get back up because God's not done with you yet. The best is yet to come. That's how you fall. And I, I think that we've got to learn to tune into that voice because I grew up in a Pentecostal Italian church. I had genetic guilt and spiritual guilt fed to me every day. And, and, and I got to tell you, it just doesn't do anything. It demoralizes people. You know, when people fall, they know they fell. They need to hear the voice of their father running to them and saying, you took that one well. I'm not done with you yet. Go outside and play. Go outside and play. Number three, faith that fights again rejects man-made limitations. Man-made limitations. Empty grave. The grave was a man-made limitation. Stone, guards, uh, seal of Pilate, and God's like, no worries. That doesn't bother me at all. Man-made limitations have nothing against the power of God. And you've got to do this in your mind. This is, what, 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 this is the key verse of Genesis 15, verse 6. And he believed the Lord and it counted to him as righteousness. In other words, this is, when, this is when Abram actually gets saved. This is the passage that James will use for faith without works. And this is also the passage that, that Paul will use in Romans 4 for this is how you're saved. Not by what you do, but by what you believe. This is the moment. He believed not himself. He believed not the area around him. He believed the Lord. And you've got to learn how to believe the Lord and stop listening to the, the voice of doubts that are in your mind. The two, the two areas that, that, that we develop uh, man-made limitations in our minds, number one, self-made doubt. Where, where we're always saying to ourselves, I could never do that. Why? Why do you say that? I'll never get married. Why are you saying that? I'll never have children. Stop it. You need to start believing not what you think, but what God says. This is why feelings are so toxic, because your feelings right now will change moments from now. That's how it works with feelings. But faith believes what God's word says, eternal in the heavens, never changing. Stop telling yourself these things. I have been telling my church on a regular basis, stop saying I have anxiety. Them, not me. I don't have anxiety. Why do you say that to yourself? You understand that anxiety is not a thing, right? They have never isolated the anxiety gene in a medical lab under a microscope. They've never seen it under the little lens and said, there it is. It's the anxiety gene. See, it's shaking. It can't stay still. It's anxious. <laughs> They've never done that because anxiety is not a thing. It's a spirit. And the Bible says if we pray and give thanks and make our requests known to God and we're anxious for nothing, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
and it surpasses what we know. We don't know where it comes from. This peace, I don't know where it comes from. I just, it conquers what I know. It's, it's better than what I know. And then the second kind of limitation is others made limitations, which I call comparison. We're always comparing your life against somebody else. There's a picture on the internet that roams the internet that I always like to go back to. I want to put it up on the screen. It's the start of these great companies and where they started. Uh, a picture of their garages. This is where they started. Apple, Google, Amazon, Harley, Disney, Mattel. World-changing organizations today, but one time, at one moment in history, they were in their parents' garage. What if they had said, what if, what if Apple had said, well, look at how big IBM is. We could never. They did it anyway. What if Google had said, look at how big uh, Yahoo is. <laughs> they would have never done it, but they didn't. They did it anyway. You need to stop comparing your life against what other people are doing, especially their Instagram account. You, you do understand that that's their highlight reel, right? Nobody's putting up their arguments with their spouse on Instagram. Everybody understand this? That's their highlight reel. Stop comparing your everydays to their highlight reel. God has something good for you. You need to learn to stop, start rejecting man-made limitations. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10 says, Don't despise the day of small beginnings. The Lord rejoices to see the work begin. He likes when you get started. He likes when you kick fear in the face and say, I don't care what could happen. I'm going to trust God who can make things happen. Three confessions of a fighting spirit and then we're done. Number one, I am supernaturally equipped for this. God can strengthen me in his spirit. I am supernaturally equipped for this fight. Hebrews 13, 20 says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do as well. Number two, I most likely need help with this. Like, don't worry about asking for help. That's okay. We all need help at some point. The scripture says in Ecclesiastes 4, 9, two are better than one. They can help each other succeed. You need help? Say it. Get into a small group. Talk to people. Let them know they're probably going through the same thing or were through, going through the same thing or may go through the same thing. They need you to speak up and you need them to speak up. And then number three, this is more than just about me. Genesis 21 verse 5 says, Abram was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. In other words, whatever you're going through is more than just about you. Isaac came later, and we are all here because Isaac actually ended up being born. And I wonder who generations from now, maybe just one generation from now, will thank God that you didn't let what happened in the past determine what could happen in the future, that you trusted him in spite of the problems and the troubles that you went through. It's not about you. It's all for his glory. And God can strengthen you to fight again. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this wonderful crowd, and I pray that they will become mighty in their generation, that you will strengthen them and uphold them and fill them with faith, for the person who's been through such a hard season of life, I pray that you will fill them with renewal in their spirit, that they will fight again and not let what happens in the past determine what will happen in the future. Thank you for the empty grave. May we live up to its eternal truth every day of our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.